J-Files on Double J. In 1989, after a decade of songwriting and worldwide acclaim, The Cure released their most devastatingly dark album ever, Disintegration. It was heralded as their masterpiece, but is it really their best? It's got a reputation as dark, gloomy and dense, but from a certain viewpoint, it can be seen as hopelessly romantic. I'm Gemma Pike, you're listening to the J-Files podcast and... Depending on your taste or when you got into the record, it might have sat with you differently. Disintegration is an album that can be seen through many lenses. So after our Credence Clearwater revival and White Album Roundtable discussions, which you can find online in podcast form, I've got Richard Kingsmill and Double J's Dan Condon along to share their own very different experiences with this very personal album. I feel like we're getting a little bit of a gang together. The official J-Files roundtable, Richard Kingsmill and Dan Condon, what a pleasure it is to have you back. And we are going to get really stuck into Disintegration, which is a huge album in The Cure's catalogue. It's celebrating its 30th anniversary. And it's a big question to ask, you know, whether this is the best album in their discography. It certainly is important. It marks a lot of uh, changes and, and points of difference in their catalogue, but is it the best? Hmm. We're going to try and find out. First of all, <laughs> I want to ask you both, how did you first come across this album, Richard? Oh, well, I was, I mean, I'm five years younger than Robert Smith. So, you know, I've been there since the very beginning. And I remember as a teenager, just hearing this band come from the London music scene and Boys Don't Cry was pretty much the first thing I heard. And it was when it was released. And I, you know, immediately loved that song and then sort of followed them pretty much from that day forward. So Disintegration, I actually had just started working at Triple J at the time that Disintegration came out. So I've been together with The Cure for, for many, many years and, and have been a passionate admirer of Robert Smith. The interesting thing about The Cure I find with Disintegration is the mind-blowing fact that it was their eighth album, mm-hmm. which you got to remember in this day and age, eight albums in and we're talking about, is that the best record for the band? You know, these days it's lucky if we get four or five albums from any act. Totally. And they were firing them out like one a year pretty much. Well, that was across 10 years. That's yeah. eight albums across 10 years. <laughs> the other amazing thing that I remember so much about the 80s and following The Cure was just how they confused people with everything that they put out. Mm. You know, they had so many twists and turns. Yeah. So that's that's where I was. Let's touch on how they got to this album in just a moment. But Dan, I'd love to know, how did you first come across Disintegration? I've always known that Disintegration existed and there's always been this kind of feeling around it like it's this really grand and important part of the Cure's catalogue. You know, I I grew up in the 90s and the and the 2000s and and so the, you know the Cure were really this this pop singles band. I mean, I knew that there was more to them, but I didn't really delve into it, you know, and being a, a teenager listening to the Cure, I was I was I, look, I was not a goth, let's put it that way. I would have I reckon I probably would have made a pretty good goth. <laughs> I was just too interested in footy and punk rock and stuff like that. And it just seemed, it all seemed a bit too dark and a a little bit too weird. And so look, disintegration, I kind of had to force myself into loving it because it had always been talked about in such hushed tones. So it was probably realistically maybe five years ago when, uh, when they put out that big kind of reissue and I thought, well, here's my chance to 
try and figure out what it is and it was immediate like I, I and I'd listened to the record before but it was just this time around I was clearly in the right headspace I was at the right time in my life where I listened to it and I'm like hang on how have I not obsessed over this record in the past and I, I haven't looked back since mm, headspace is a really big part of it and unlike you Dan I most definitely was a goth in my teenage years <laughs> um, I've seen the photos to prove it too. oh yeah yeah oh, it's yeah. true I'm happy to claim it it's all good I'm not ashamed um, I kind of came across it in a backwards way because I listened a lot to Galore. Remember that best of compilation mm. with the fat little baby on it eating an ice cream? So I'd been listening to this and then pretty much realised that a lot of the songs on that were from Disintegration. And um, producer Grant for the show actually reminded me of something just before. On that compilation, I'd been listening to the radio edit and I had only then come to that beautiful, long, extended album versions of the songs when I finally went back and started listening to Disintegration. So so was, these are the radio edits of the main songs from the album? That's what was yeah. on Galore. So oh, right. that was my first introduction to it. So oh, when I actually yeah. got to the album, that was pretty mind-blowing to finally be able to listen to it in the context of the release with all of that indulgence that I think Robert Smith wanted us to listen to it with. Yeah. It's um, it's interesting that you say that because my introduction was Standing on a Beach, which is also a compilation, yeah. but mm. it's all the stuff that kind of, you know, up until, well, I guess, mid-80s, so before that even made Disintegration, which I guess goes back to that thing where, you know, this was their eighth record, but um, that was my thing. So, so I, you know, th- those songs weren't my immediate kind of, you know, touchstones in, in terms of when I thought about The Cure. I'm Gemma Pike, and this is the J-Files podcast, diving into The Cure's disintegration. It's interesting that both of you came to The Cure through those compilations of singles because the question I want to ask is, have The Cure actually made that masterpiece, that masterpiece one album? Because this is what Robert Smith was trying to do with Disintegration. Mm. He was kind of, you know, closing out a decade of the of the band's career. He was also uh, turning 30 the year that Disintegration came out. So in all the lead up, he was about to turn 30. He also, the year before Disintegration came out, he married his longtime girlfriend. Mm. And and the relationship between him and Mary is really crucial because they met when they were 14. It's one of those great rock and roll love stories. They haven't been apart since the age of 14. And he married her when he was 29 the year before. So there was a lot of things happening, changes in his life, personal life, but also the fact that he was reaching 30. I mean, at heart, Robert Smith is a big kid. He really is. I've spoken to him a number of times. He's a boy that's never quite grown up. I'm not saying he's immature, it's just that he's retained that essence of what he was as a, as a child and a teenager and those idyllic ideas that you have when you reach those teenage years of what you want your life to be and who you want to be. And that's why, you know, he still looks the same, you know. <laughs> he's still got the band together. It's still the cure. It's never just Robert Smith. So there were some changes happening and he was really freaked out about turning 30. He was really worried that he was getting old and that he hadn't made that masterpiece. And you know what? Not to sort of play my trump card or my my opinion too early in the program, but I don't think, as much as I love The Cure, I don't think they've made a masterpiece album, and I don't think Disintegration is a masterpiece. Um, And it's interesting that a lot of people do come to this band through the singles collection because at heart I think The Cure have had such a fantastic career releasing absolutely wonderful singles. But I think the one thing that they lack in their whole career is that masterpiece album. Wow. Yeah. You, are, you are stating it early, Richard. I'm, planti- I'm, really I'm planting looking- a flag for us to discuss. <laughs> Whether we rally around that flag or burn it down, it's up to you. Yeah. I think it's interesting that you say that, you know, he's kind of a, a child at heart. I mean, imagine having that level of success and then with – 
30 approaching being freaked out by that, you know, like I hadn't done crap all before I was 30, you mm. know, <laughs> and, um, well, you know, one of the uh, things I remember interviewing because soon after disintegration, I got to sit down and I spoke to him. I remember I spoke to him for a couple of hours on the phone because we were doing some big specials on the cure at the time. And it was like two thirty in the morning over where he was. Mm. And I was like, aren't you tired? And it was like, no, 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 I'm, I'm up all night. It's like, this is my peak time sort of thing. You know, it's mm. so gothic, isn't it? One thing that I always remember from those conversations is asking him about, do you think you'll ever be a father? And him saying at that point, no, we're, we're not having kids. We're, we're never going to have kids. Has he had kids? No, I don't know. No, no. They agreed very on, early on in their relationship or when they got married pretty much that they were never going to have kids because he just said, I don't like the idea of bringing someone into the world when they haven't asked to be brought into the world. And the other thing he said was, I, I just am not mature enough to be a father. I just, I've got nieces and nephews and he's got stacks of them and he loves playing with them, but he says, I can give them back at the end of the day and I'm not the one who is responsible. So growing older has been fairly yeah. easy for you. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I sort of gauge my um, mental ageing dealing with much younger people. I mean, like particularly my nephews and nieces, which there seem to be hundreds now. And if I can communicate with them on that kind of basic level, whereby they treat me in a different way than they do their mums and dads, I know that I'm, you know, I haven't aged that much. I don't actually think of them as children. You haven't had any kids yourself yet? No, I, I feel it would, it would um, be it's too much of a responsibility for me at the moment. No, I, I, I don't don't think ultimately that I'm, I will have them because I'm too selfish. <laughs> <laughs> Could be a big jolt if you ever experience that, you know, that fatherhood feeling. I just think it brings responsibility. I, I mean, I don't know. I, I see the downsides as much, uh, probably more than I see the upside of it. Having, I mean, most well, a lot of the people that I know now of my age are our fathers and then you know there are obviously huge benefits to it but there are also huge disadvantages it comes back to my point of i feel like he has always retained that essence of what he was as a teenager mm. and the the idealistic nature of uh, who he was as a teenager has, has remained i mean that's that's why he's never put out a robert smith solo record he's never broken up the band he's kept mm -hmm. the band around him you know they've changed lineups of course and it's still the cure still got the black teased hair it's still robert smith wearing the baggy clothes <laughs> What's and the white sneakers. And yeah, and and he's I guess from disintegration onwards he's he's kind of had that quintessential cure sound too. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Do you feel as old as you are? Um no, I'm 34. I mean it's I don't feel 34. I don't know what it feels to be 34. I, I mean I don't feel like I've aged at all since I was about 17. I mean I I've, I've experienced a great deal and I hopefully know a bit more you know i still feel passionately about the, the same things i still get angry about the same things i still get pleasure from the same things in the main that kind of the side of, 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 of age is strange because there are people again people around me who are either going backwards with their age or they've been the same age for like for five or six years i seem to be the only person in pop that actually ages actually or at least admits to it there are other people who are desperately trying to stay young and i, I think there's nothing worse than people who are trying to stay young I mean, you shouldn't have to try. You either do or you don't. But what we've been trying to do and always have been trying to do is just stay true to how we feel as individuals. Some of the people I see now who are like older than me in most instances, my peers, doddering about pretending they're teenagers. I'm Gemma Pike. You're listening to the J-Files podcast where myself, Richard Kingsmill and Dan Condon are having a roundtable discussion about The Cure's 1989 album, Disintegration. They kind of threw everything to the wall with Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me that led up to 
this album, the one before. But there was also, you know, there was they'd gone pop, they'd gone psychedelic. Yeah. You know, they they were always very playful with their sound. You know, they weren't afraid to kind of bounce around a little bit. Well, this is what has always confused me about Robert Smith, and it confused me as a fan because when Let's Go to Bed came out, I hated it. I thought, what the hell are you doing now? It's like you know, you just put out pornography, which is even one step bleaker than uh, maybe Faith was, and then they uh, were worried. Robert was worried about them getting pigeonholed as a, a certain gothic band, you know, just doom and gloom, and they couldn't write sort of a pop song. I'll show you. I'll write Let's Go to Bed, and then I'll write Love Cats. So he whacked those singles out pretty soon after this really heavy, doomy, gloomy music. And then he's kind of a few years after that getting uh, pissed off with people perceiving them to be this kooky pop band with a funny-looking lead singer and all this sort of stuff. And I was like, well, you made your bed, you know, to... There you go. Use, use a pun, <laughs> a bad pun, but you kind of, you know, it, mate. you you created this confusion. So that's what he tried to kind of rectify, I think, with Disintegration as well. There was no intention of having anything from the album played on the radio. Right. I mean, it wasn't kind of like being, thinking, right, we're going to make an album that isn't going to get played on the radio. But we sort of realised that we'd have to compromise what we wanted to do in order to get played on the radio. Usually I react against, um, you know, when we did Disintegration, the next thing we did was an album called Mixed Up, which is like remixes. And I think the others were expecting me to do something similar, but um, I think I've surprised them and myself actually by continuing on in pretty much the same vein as the songs that I've written are kind of in, in a similar mood. If anything, they're more miserable. <laughs> I haven't kind of uh, quite decided on how to approach it lyrically yet, but um, but certainly musically, it's, it's very it's the more atmospheric side of the band. Everything is reactionary. You mm. can kind of trace it through their records. Everything is a reaction to, oh, you know, we're too gloomy, so let's write some pop. Oh, well, I don't like how popular we're getting from all this pop music, so <laughs> let's write something gloomy again. Yeah. Coming back to Disintegration, it definitely is a mood throughout all 72 minutes. How does it make you feel, Dan? This record makes me feel sadness more than anything. And it's not necessarily that it makes me feel sad, but there's just there is sadness in this music, you know. Even a song like "Love Song," which that is like such a beautiful song. If mm. you if you if you read those lyrics, you'd be like, "What a what a stunning song!" But you listen to to it, and there's just that kind of pit in your stomach when you hear it, and you're like, "There is something really melancholy." That's what comes across strongest for me. Mm. Yeah, it's melancholy, but it's not it's not miserable. The J Files. I know that not every song is melancholy or, or wistful, but a lot of people still, when you mention The Cure, see them as coming from the bleak and miserable end of the pop spectrum. Do you ever get irritated about that? It makes me wonder what you have to do, I suppose, to, to break the mould in some people's minds. I think it's getting better. Although there was a pastiche on British telly a couple of nights ago of, of us singing Tiny Kangaroo's Downspin <laughs> on a kind of satire show, and... We would like all, you know, dressed in black and looking down. And, and I, I don't know, I just think it, people have kind of picked, you know, certain sections of the media have picked up on that and they're just, and, and we're stuck with it forever, whatever we do. I mean, it's, it, but I suppose the same, it's very hard for people to, to reconcile the fact that the same group did Faith as did the Love Cats sort of thing, or the same group does something like High as did the Pornography album. I suppose because most bands stick to it, you know, within certain strict parameters, really, and don't deviate so much as, as we do. And I suppose everyone likes to pigeonhole, don't they? So. Mm. Are, are Faith and Love Cats the opposite ends of your spectrum? Like, are they the two kind of uh, main drawing boards for you in terms of the sort of structure of songs? Not really the structure. I think in mood, I, think, I mean, they're, they're the two that, that 
straight away come to mind. I, I, but the, the thing about it is that I really like both of them. I, I would be happy to, to perform either and happy to listen to either depending on my mood. You know, it's not like an either or. The, the pop songs aren't always like idiot pop songs just thrown in there to kind of lighten up what would otherwise be a very, very depressing atmosphere. Is Disintegration The Cure's best album? I actually see Disintegration as a love album. You know, I pretty much because of songs like Pictures of You and Love Song, that plus the rest of the record, I don't I it's yeah, I agree it's a melancholy record, but but The Cure have always done melancholy music exactly the way I like it, which is to sit there feel kind of sadness but not despair never despair totally yeah yeah mm-hmm. it's hopelessly romantic to exactly. me it's that like yeah. you know romanticism isn't sunshine and flowers and chocolates and teddy bears and valentine's day it's that feeling that you get in the pit of your stomach as to how unbearable <laughs> life would be without your loved one mm. and you know that's what disintegration sums up so beautifully for me but i mean for an album that's seemed to be so gloomy the record opens with three songs that are in a major key and then a direct love song. Do you reckon that this was like the cure's way to easing you into this <laughs> this dark, gloomy 72-minute whirlwind? I don't know. I kind of feel like love song is love song's the odd one out on the record, not so much that it sounds like it shouldn't be there. It's always been such an important part of this record mm. and obviously is probably the most popular song off the record. Love song... Uh, fits thematically within everything else that he's talking about on the record, but I think he probably finished a lot of the writing of Disintegration and went, I've got to have a radio single in here somewhere. You reckon it was a mm. late late finisher? I, I think it might have been. Mm. I mean, he wrote it squ- you know, squarely about Mary. It was a, it was a, basically, he says it was a wedding gift. It was a gift to her and, uh, to show his love. Yeah. And it's, it's such an honest lyric. I mean, it's like there's nothing to dispute in the lyric at all. But that's the other thing I've really loved about Robert Smith as a singer and a lyricist is that he can sing. If he gave some of those lyrics to other singers, they would sound naff and really, you know, sickly you know, um, sort of too obvious. Mm. But he, he manages to pull it off with a level of sincerity that you just believe and you just sign up for it and you go, yeah, I'm totally with you. The other thing about Love Song is I never get sick of hearing it and that's with so much of the Cure music. Mm. It's never overplayed and that's a remarkable thing for a songwriter to achieve, I reckon, to write a song and for a music fan to just want to keep on hearing it and it never loses its power. And for me, Love Song has never lost its power. a bit sick of the the tag that the cure is an alternative band i mean it's only recently i guess that you've broken through into the the main charts in the states and maybe some of the european countries do you sometimes wish that the world domination had come a little earlier for the cure no i genuinely don't i I don't think world domination ever will arise for the cure and i hope it doesn't because a, a lot of what we do relies in a strange way on us never quite being accepted. We sell a lot of records, but we still represent something that's slightly odd, I suppose. We're not invited onto premier British talk shows and stuff, even if we like, have a number one record, mm. number one album. So we, we'd never be invited on because they would never be quite sure what we were going to do. E- even Dame Edna hasn't asked you on yet? No. <laughs> Although she'd probably be the first, I think. If anyone was going to crack, it would be her. Well, she'd be pretty interested in the lipstick side of things, probably. <laughs> No, I don't know. It's it's just something that we've we've always felt more comfortable, I suppose, being slightly outside of what, what what's really like fashionable, what's really big. Um, it allows us to take kind of cheap shots at everyone else. 
I don't know if I wouldn't really feel comfortable I don't think being you know embraced by the mainstream I think it would feel a bit a bit strange and I don't think, actually think it'll ever happen because we tend in the past to have done things that we've like flown in the face of the obvious when something is like sitting up and asking for us to like be bigger and be more successful we've tended to do the opposite but strangely enough through the years the opposite has often actually taken us one step further on we seem to have like done what we've wanted and yet that that has actually been the basis of of our success in this training show because people appreciate that we've done what we wanted they might not always like what we do but they know that we're doing it for our own reasons i think it'll always be like that i think even if we had like a number one album all around the world people would still think that we were a band with a thing with a funny haircut and lipstick and they wouldn't really know who we were what did the cure do well on this release what do you reckon Look, there's a lot of things that are really good about this record. The things that I think jump out the most to me when I really think about it is is firstly that blend of kind of pop simplicity and, and something that's a little bit more ambitious and a little bit more artful and something that requires a little bit of effort. Like I mentioned earlier, my first kind of falling in love with this record, I had to force myself to fall in love with it and um, and I'm glad that I did, but it, it wasn't something that was kind of immediate like I, I felt towards some of those earlier singles. I really like the way that Robert Smith, in the kind of mood of this of this record, he was a very popular musician, but I mean, this is really, as we said, a really bleak record. And I think it kind of, I don't even know if it's a catharsis, but it's just a, this this almost like a, a permission to to feel blue and to feel glum and to and to be like, look, I had, don't really have a great reason for being miserable but i'm miserable anyway Mm. and and i think that that's that kind of part of the emotional connection that i get from the record and i think to be able to do that without it coming across as overbearing is is really clever i'm Gemma pike and this is the j files podcast diving into the cures disintegration as an album itself i think it's a really cohesive record there's a there's there's definitely a consistency to it, which I think is a reaction to Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me, because I listened to that double album when it came out in 87 a lot at the time, and I enjoyed it because it just bounced all over the place. Yeah. But I think it's, listen, looking back on it, it was just a very kind of confused cure. They didn't really know what they wanted to be, and it just had a bizarre range of material on it, which I don't think time has done it. Uh, any favours. Mm. I don't think Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me is a wonderful record from beginning to end. It was just overloaded with ideas. So they got rid of that and Disintegration had an idea. Yeah, you And can't... they executed it. I think that there was a period in like sort of around the, the, when the singles that we did in the mid-80s were coming out and I was being pushed as, like, as a face and a haircut and stuff. And it, People lost sight, I think, of the fact that... Um, that was really the, around 84 and 85 that the um, head on the door, particularly, that this group was really starting to evolve in the direction. I mean, I, I suppose I've always had a guiding influence in what's gone on, but um, certainly since then, the, the contribution that everyone makes towards the group has got bigger and bigger into it. I mean, on the new album, everyone has had a say about everything. I mean, I've actually lost control in some areas, which I sort of regret, but in, in other, it's compensated for in other ways, in that um, a lot of the, the loads so the whole thing that has been sort of like gradually again like to just evolve naturally into a kind of a, a group much more than anything to do with, you know just with me I'm Gemma Pike, and right now we're chatting with Richard Kingsmill and Dan Condon about the Cures album Disintegration They were absolutely huge 
when they released this record. Mm. I got to see him in Australia play, you know, a big entertainment centre show soon after Disintegration came out. It was a two and a half to three hour performance, mm-hmm. which uh, I remember at the time just being so immersed in. It was like a huge experience like this record is. So they executed it really well on that stage. Then they managed to get to the States, even though, you know, Robert Smith hates flying. They managed to get there. And they were playing stadiums of 30, 40, 50,000 people for this mm. album. That is a huge level of success in the States, which they re- then reacted to again because they didn't like playing those huge stadiums. But think about it. This disintegration record is not what you would classify as a hugely commercial record for all the reasons we've gone into because of its mood and because of the length of a lot of these songs and because of, you know, the uh, despair that, you know, might come across if if you're just a general listener. But they were achieving massive, massive success, especially in the States. The J-Files. Apart from your dislike of flying, how does touring affect you personally? We used to tour in the old days and it was just used to be one round of excess. It was just like a really good crack, I suppose. It was kind of an unreal world and we were making the most of it and I never really got out of that. On the last tour that we did, the prayer tour around disintegration, the mood was kind of different. It was a lot more to do with the music, I think. That we were playing like three hours on stage and, and it got quite intense. And I, I was actually physically and mentally so drained a lot of the time that I didn't get much chance to like go out and go wild. So. Uh, it kind of broke the the, um, the mould a bit and we went out and did some Euro- East European dates for a couple of months and uh, I don't know, the emphasis sort of shifted a bit. We still enjoy ourselves to excess, I think, on tour compared to a lot of other bands but um, it isn't quite the same. We're not sort of like bent on self-destruction as much as we used to be. Mm. So I think I, I, I survive it um, a lot easier. The past couple of times we've been out, I've actually enjoyed myself, whereas before it was almost a kind of, I used to punish myself almost. By the end of the tour, I'd be absolutely you know, close to death sometimes. All right, so we've spoken about a few of the things that really worked on this album. Picking it apart, what are the weaknesses of Disintegration? Richard, you're smiling. Uh, look, you know, I mean, I, I sound like I should be saying this is their masterpiece. The reason why it doesn't quite work for me, I don't know whether this is, you know, a smart thing to say, but so many of my favourite Cure songs aren't on this record. Mm. <laughs> that, for me, is a problem with it. It's 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 really a problem for me that I I just look at all those other records and I go three of those tracks, two of those tracks, four of those tracks, you know, across each of the record. They're just so important to me and I love them so much that I then look at Disintegration and I go, I just wish there was a few more songs like that in this mix. But besides Pictures of You, Love Song, Lullaby, Fascination Street, the rest of it doesn't live with me as strongly. All of the stuff we've said before about um, it being a cohesive body of work, it just doesn't have enough of those songs to make it a masterpiece in my book. It's symptomatic of it being an album that needs to be listened to as a whole. Like I was saying before, I think where if you do pick it apart, it doesn't sit in the same way. And I like those other tracks because... I listen to it in the context of the album to get me from one point to another to help me wallow and indulge in a particular mood as it washes over me. But seven minutes of pictures of you, it's, it's like, <laughs> that's brilliant. I love that. I love that. But then after a while, 
I I kind of I kind of want the album to do something a little bit different, or just to give me another 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 lullaby moment, or something yeah. else that makes me feel that way. That's why, as a listener, I kind of I I don't rate it as a masterpiece. It's a great record. Look, I won't deny that you know a couple minutes shaved off here and there wouldn't have hurt. Um, Dan, what do you reckon? Are some of the the weaknesses when it comes to this release. I'm a little bit conflicted about my thoughts about it anyway, but I'll I'll give it a crack. I don't love the romanticization of sadness, generally speaking. Because you I weren't think, a goth. Well, yeah, oh, I kind had a, of. I, I had a mullet in the eighties. I wasn't a goth either. <laughs> you know, I was I was as far from a goth as anyone on earth. But I I I could relate. It's 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 a it's a gothic band for people who don't want to be a goth themselves. You know, you can buy into it. It was mm. yeah. It was easier than a lot of those other fields of nephilim. What were they called? The Sisters of Mercy. Oh, Sisters I mean, Sisters of Mercy. Mercy were, typo negative. Yeah, yeah, there was a lot around in the eighties. But um, yeah, even if you weren't a goth, you could kind of get into the Cure. Mm. Look, I love this record. I I mean, masterpiece is a really strong word, but it's if it's not a masterpiece, it's really bloody close in my eyes. And as I said, I love the the mood, but I just have a really complicated relationship with it. And it's bleak. It's really it's it is really dark. You listen to it for seventy two minutes, and you come out the other end of it. And if you if you are happy when you press play, you're probably less happy at the end of it. You might feel good. No, but... Yeah. See, it's for me because I'd kind of lived through the pornography and faith days, and that's where the Cure were their bleakest. In disintegration, once again, I said to me, it's a love album. So it's a it's melancholic in tone, but it's like if I lose this love what will I be or Mm. you know if I ever didn't have you in my life what would I be so I personally you know never feel those depressive thoughts when I listen to The Cure and specifically this record because I kind of just live out this sort of sense of melancholic Mm. and the brightest pop song can be as depressing as ever so yeah and that's what goth is really it's finding the beauty in that darkness and I, I just see it as being a really beautiful loving album yeah absolutely The J Files Disintegration itself was taken initially at face value as a very down kind of album, and yet it had love song and lullaby, fascinating street bits of you. It had some really up songs on it. So I don't know. People just tend to pick up, I suppose. On our, I mean, maybe our darker side is so dark that people can't avoid picking up on it. But um, mm. there is a light side. I mean, it's, I, I always think that what we do is quite balanced, really, in, in the long term. I think we've gone through phases of doing. You know, it's quite depressing stuff. We've gone through phases of doing quite happy stuff. And it's usually reflected what the, the atmosphere has been like either in my head or in the band at the time. Gemma Pike, Richard Kingsmill and Dan Condon, we are trying to get to the bottom of The Cure's album Disintegration, which has just turned 30. They're going to be back in the country playing it in full over five epic sold-out shows as part of Vivid Festival at the Sydney Opera House. And we're... Getting to the bottom as to whether it is the best in the Cures catalogue, before I ask that final question, guys, what do you think the impact of disintegration has been? Well, it's funny when you were playing Fascination Street, uh, Nine Inch Nails came to mind. Oh, immediately. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, And, you know, Trent was starting Nine Inch Nails around this time, 88, 89. Well, yeah, that would be. Yeah, when disintegration came out. And Mm -hmm. I'm sure I've read that he was a huge Cure fan through the 80s. And I think, uh, you know, maybe he was sort of taking the baton and running with it in a different sense, a Mm. lot of the Cure inspiration. Well, faith and pornography, I mean, that leads to a lot of that sort of industrial industrial sound. Industrial type stuff, absolutely. Um, Oh, 
they're such a big band. They've meant so much to so many different people. I think it's just an obvious. It's just a given. The Cure are one of the great bands of all time, one of the most inspirational and influential. You could pick anyone. You could pick anyone from, you know, in folk music. That's, I think, the, uh, the important thing about The Cure. They've meant so much to so many different musicians across so many different genres. So to kind of pinpoint a few bands, I think, is unnecessary. I just think it's a given. It's a statement. And, you know, I just would disagree if anyone disagreed with that. I think you could ask any of my favorite bands what they think about The Cure, and they would absolutely rave about them. I think The Cure, on the whole, obviously hugely influential. But that is something that I would actually really like to know from, you know, a lot of people who love The Cure, a lot of people who have been inspired by The Cure. Do they consider it to be that master? piece or not which is obviously the big question that we're trying to answer tonight or do they need to do a king's mill special <laughs> compilation disc of all the favorite songs <laughs> yeah trim it put a few put a few from faith in there a couple Slot of head around. a couple of head on the door a couple of kiss me kiss me kiss me yeah now this is the record i wanted guys why didn't you give me this the first time around then i would have agreed with you 30 years on and it's still connecting it's still making hearts ache yeah if you look at the entire catalog which is a huge catalog now for the cure if you look at the one album that's lived on it is disintegration. I mean, they've sold out, as you said before, five opera houses. Insane. You know, they're going to play this record from beginning to end. You know, uh, the other records in their catalogue, as much as I love Head on the Door, which came out a couple of records before this, mm. you know, it, it hasn't had the staying power as a record as much as disintegration. You know, I've talked about Faith a lot of being a really sort of, you know, personal favourite for me, but it's not the one that sort of has lasted 40 years and people kind of, you know, talk about in the same ways as people talk about disintegration. Mm. I mean, Wish immediately afterwards had Friday I'm in Love. Yeah, exactly. Wish is a pretty good record too. Wish is not a bad follow-up, but it's not as good as disintegration. But it did have some pretty good songs on it too. True. Finally... Is Disintegration the Cure's best album? It is their best record, but as I said before, it's not a masterpiece. It's 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 the most cohesive and it's the strongest record from beginning to end. It comes with a little footnote that, <laughs> for me, that I I I feel like oh, it's going to pay me to say this: The Cure are one of the greatest singles bands of all time. But as an album band, oh, I don't know whether I can put my name on that. What I mean is that there's so much gold on all of those other records, but as a as a lasting document from beginning to end, Disintegration is as close as they got. Yeah, I get that. Dan? Completely agree. I mean, Disintegration is the only Cure record where I'll feel like I need to listen to Disintegration. I think it's the best Cure record. Unlike a lot of my favourite records, I don't think that I would be willing to argue with anyone who challenged me on this. I think that The Cure are one of those bands that they mean so much to people, particularly big Cure fans, but this is the best Cure record. If you disagree with me, then I think that that's great. Um, I, I'm not going to argue with you. I think I think that this music is really special and it means something different to everyone. And I think that, um, that yeah, it's it, there's, no, there's no right or wrong in terms of um, where you come to um, with The Cure. That's that's my feeling anyway, but I know that Cure fans do like to argue about what's what's best, so I'm sure there's plenty of people screaming at their radio right now. <laughs> and do you know what? I think objectively, if you asked Robert Smith, did you achieve what you set out to do with this album? He'd say yes. Yeah, I think he would too. Yeah, and I, I think that, yeah. that, that plays into, you know, why it's one of the best. All the components worked, for sure. I don't know whether we solved the ills of the world, but we certainly got three very different takes on what is arguably 
The Cure's 1989 masterpiece. Uh, whether you're a singles fan or a disintegration tragic, thanks so much for joining us on the J Files podcast. I'm Gemma Pike. For more stories like these, make sure you scroll through our archive. Plenty of stories to sink your teeth into. Make sure you're subscribed and we'll see you next week. The J Files.